What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a new episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. You can find the show at SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand or by searching Hangout in the Holy Land on Apple Podcasts. My name is Colton Denning. It is Monday, March 12, 2018, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host in Ohio, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick What's the haps, man? What's going on? I'm doing pretty well. My headphones died at the gym while I was running, which is never very fun. But outside of that, I'm I'm doing well. I'm I'm looking forward to March Madness. We've got plenty of that to talk about. Yeah, and for the first time in a couple of years, we got to talk about Ohio State in the NCAA tournament. If you aren't aware yet, the Ohio State Buckeyes at 24 and 8 are going to be playing the South Dakota State University Jackrabbits, the Summit League champions they're going to play on Thursday March 15th at 4 p.m. Eastern time in Boise Idaho it's a classic 5 versus 12 matchup Um, we're going to get into what we think about the game and how we feel about this matchup Uh, overall impressions for what Ohio State's draw do you think that five seed was right for them do you think this draw in Idaho was good bad what what do you got for this one well kind of going into the selection show I think we we knew that Ohio State was going to be a five or a six seed. Um, losing in the first round of the Big Ten tournament really didn't help their cause. Um, it, it seemed like a four was about as high as they could go, and they they just didn't really get there. But this draw is probably one of the friendlier draws they could have gotten out of the possible options. Um, you know, some of those other twelve seeds that the the other five seeds drew, like Davidson or New Mexico State. That's a, a really rough matchup. Um, I, I know that that Davidson <clears throat> team loves to shoot threes, and Ohio State is just not particularly good at defending that. And that's not to say that South Dakota State doesn't also love to shoot threes. Um, I think that they, I think I saw that they shoot, they're like the sixth uh, highest three-point shooting team in the country. But, um, you know, overall, the bracket that they're in, the the division that, that, that they're in, and, you know, South Dakota State as a whole seems to be pretty favorable for Ohio State. I'm not sure if I'm super confident in Ohio State winning any games in the tournament, let alone getting to the Sweet 16 or even the Elite Eight. But I, I think it could have been much worse. Uh, I know in a lot of the bracketology stuff, there was a possibility of Ohio State having to play West Virginia in the second round. And that would be just a bloodbath with that press. So overall, I, I think that Ohio State fans should be pretty happy about this draw. And I know that I am pretty happy about this draw. Yeah, it seems like it could have been worse. I, I think the the bad thing about it is if they are able to beat South Dakota State and advance uh, to, the, to the round of 32 and you play, assuming that Gonzaga takes care of UNC Greensboro, you play them in Idaho, which is, I'm sure, to be a large contingent of Zags fans out there, and this is a team that Ohio State's already played this season and didn't have a lot of success against, but I think to even worry about that, they'll have to get past the South Dakota State team, and as you mentioned, they love to shoot threes, and for me, that is the biggest, um, my, my biggest worry about this matchup. They make 10 and a half threes per game, that's 11th nationally. Ohio State makes just under seven per game, so that's a lot of hidden points, I think, that are going to start to add up if Ohio State allows them to shoot threes, and that worries me the most about this game, and, and I think that you look at a guy like Mike Dom, who 
to be quite honest, before doing prep research on this, I don't know anything about this guy, but he averages almost 24 points per game, over 10.5 rebounds. He shoots 6.5 threes per game at 42%. He's got 12 30-point games this season, including 37 versus Colorado. So for me, this, you know, and you and I talked about this as the season kind of rolled on and we got closer to the tournament that playing against these type of teams, Penn State's that love to shoot three or, or have a star player that can kind of take over. This is like the complete non-ideal matchup for them. This is the nightmare matchup for them in my mind. And I really like, I don't, I don't want this whole podcast to be negative about this matchup, but I really don't feel confident that they're going to be able to win this game to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, going into like mid January, when Ohio State was winning pretty much every game they played, they they crushed Michigan State. I think they got off to like a 12-0 start in the Big Ten. Um, and during the midst of that run, I remember texting people um, saying, like, I think Ohio State could win the championship, like the national championship. And um, I, I don't think that anymore after seeing the last month or so of this team play. And this this kind of adds to... You know, and as you said, we don't want to be too negative, but this kind of adds to my pessimism about how this season is going to end for Ohio State because it, you know, it isn't a good matchup. I, I really don't think there was a good matchup going into the tournament for Ohio State, save for maybe if they got a six seed and they got to play one of the, you know, the bubble power five teams. I, I think Ohio State would do pretty well against a team like Oklahoma or uh, Arizona State or Syracuse, a, a team that kind of relies either on one player or on their athleticism rather than shooting. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, Mike Dom, the star player for South Dakota State, um, I think that that could be kind of a fun matchup just because he's a forward and uh, it'll probably be Kata Bates D up against him. And I'm not sure how this Dom kid is on defense. But that that could be kind of a back and forth battle, which will be at least enjoyable to watch, even if it results in an Ohio State loss. So it, it's I'm certainly not optimistic. I, I think I'm probably like leaning 60-40 Ohio State wins. Um, but it, it should be a good game, and you know it's it's one of those dreaded 5-12 possible upsets, and it seems to be kind of the trendy 5-12 upset that people are picking. But I, I think it'll be a really good game, and we'll see exactly what Ohio State is capable of with this game because I think if they can win this one handily, I'll be much more confident going into the round of 32 against Gonzaga or, you know, if Gonzaga loses UNC Greensboro. What do you think the best path for victory for Ohio State is? Because for me, it's it has to be that first two-thirds of the season from Kata Bates D up that we saw and whenever they needed a bucket, whether it was a three or getting to the line, whatever it may be, he was able to kind of get to his spot on the floor. And that isn't something we saw at the end of this season. So I think for me, the biggest key for Ohio State is KBD has to play the way he did at the start of the year. And, you know, it's always nice to get contributions from everybody. And when this team is out on the fast break and Andrew Dockich is making plays here and there and Jay Sean Tate's able to get to the bucket, that's when they're at their best. But it feels like in this type of situation, especially when you're facing a team that has a guy as talented as Dom and can score like that, KBD needs to be able to carry the load for them. 
Yeah, and I think that Kata might actually be able to do that coming into this game because, you know, in, in looking at South Dakota State's roster, the majority of their players, I, I don't know exactly what their roster looks like, but just looking at their heights and, you know, the the guys on this team, they don't really have a true big guy. Dom is 6'9", uh, Chris Howell, who's a, um, a guard, is 6'5". They have a couple other forwards who are 6'9". But, you know... I, I don't think that Kada is going to face the same kind of pressure that he saw near the end of the Big Ten season when teams started putting, you know, multiple big men on him whenever he got the ball. I, I think Kada will have more of a chance to, you know, to find separation and to to get spot up shots rather than having to make plays for himself. And ultimately, that doesn't really come down to the defense as much as it does what the rest of his teammates do. Um, the the guard matchup isn't great for Ohio State. South Dakota State has quite a few guards, and most of them are pretty solid, um, including David Jenkins Jr., who's South Dakota State's second-leading scorer with 16 points. And it'll, I think, come down to if C.J. Jackson and Andrew Dockich and Cam Williams can you know, make plays, if they can force turnovers, if they can keep the ball and not turn the ball over a bunch, which they seem to like to do against teams like this. Um and just keeping keeping South Dakota State from going on big runs where they hit several threes in a row without Ohio State scoring. Um, and if that comes down to the guard play, if that comes down to Kata Bates-Diop or, you know, even someone that we haven't talked about a ton, um, you know, against a, a smaller team like this, Caleb Wesson could be in for a really big game. Um, we really see that when they play Penn State and Mike Watkins were out. We thought Kata didn't really show up. But, you know, a lot of times the guys like Caleb who are really, really close to being dominant, they're just not quite there yet. You know, a lot of times it's because they're young. They step up when it comes to the tournament, when it comes to March, because it's all or nothing. And I think that we could see that from Caleb. And if, if he shows up, that could be huge for Ohio State. And I think that's a pretty big part of their path to success in this game. What's interesting, too, and this goes for the rest of the Big Ten, is Ohio State, by the time that this game is played, they won't have played a game in 13 days. And we saw them really get run ragged down the end of the regular season and in the game against Penn State. They just looked like they were out of gas, Kata Bates-Diop in particular. And it'll be interesting to see whether that layoff has any sort of effect, positive or negative, on the way that they come out, whether they're more energized offensively, whether they're able to run a little bit more and have a better start than what we've seen in the past couple of games from them. So I think that that layoff is kind of an unknown as of right now. Yeah. And you mentioned getting off to a quick start. I think that that'll be key because you know, that, that 13 day layoff is that's tough. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot to, to, you know, go through to keep college kids focused. Um, because, you know, when you're not playing games for so long and, you know, obviously they're practicing and they're, they're still playing basketball, but it's, it's a completely different experience. And, you know, the uh, other thing that can kind of tie into that is that most of this team doesn't have tournament experience. Um, I mean, the, the last time they made the tournament was, uh, was it? three seasons ago with D'Angelo Russell. Was that three seasons ago? Yep. Yeah. So Jay Sean Tate was on that team. Cato was on that team. You know, Cam was on that team. But most of those guys didn't play significant minutes. And there, it's, you know, it's a different game in the tournament. And they're going to be playing on, you know, I, I hate to say the 
the the kind of the the you know traditional excuse when you're playing on the west coast the body clock game but it, it is a different experience and I think it'll be interesting to see how they respond to you know playing after a really long layoff and after another disappointing loss and with the lack of experience and all that stuff we could see them get out to a slow start and I think that it's key to avoid that and you know hit shots early and get into a rhythm yeah and we talked about the importance of of KBD playing like he did earlier in the year but to your point as well with those kind of more inexperienced players I feel confident that Bates Diop and Jay Sean Tate and some of the older guys will be you know they'll be ready to go I don't think that that moment will be too big for them but it's the Caleb Wessons, the Andre Wessons, even Cam Williams, what can those supporting players bring to the table in a big moment like this? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, a guy like Andre Wesson could be huge in this game because this is, as I mentioned, a, a pretty small South Dakota State team. They have a lot of guards. And as we saw against Purdue, Wesson does have the ability to step up and hit big shots. Um, and... I'm not entirely sure if he'll see a ton of minutes. He hasn't seen many minutes recently, and usually in the tournament rotations shrink a little bit. But if a guy like Andre Weston or Musa Jallo or even Kyle Young, you know, Micah Potter, any of those guys can step up and hit shots, that's certainly going to only help Ohio State because the you know a big issue for Ohio State in the last couple of weeks has been the serious lack of offensive contributions from most of the players that aren't Kata or Jay Sean Tate or CJ Jackson or even Caleb. Um, and if they can get contributions from bench players and from guys who don't score a ton, that'll really open up the offense and let them do things like how they were doing it back in January when they were beating Michigan state by 20 points or, you know, when they were kind of running the table, it was because everybody was able to score. Andrew Dockett was shooting the ball well, which he just kind of, as a side note, hasn't been doing like at all. I don't really, I don't remember the last time he took a jumper. And I, I feel like they need to just go back to everybody playing loose and shooting the ball when they're open. And that's, you know, it, it that's oversimplifying it, but that's really key for the offense in this game is that guys who are open have to shoot the ball yeah Andrew Dockich's whole offensive portfolio right now seems to be just scoop layups <laughs> all scoop layups all the time but um Musa Jallo you you mentioned him that's a name we haven't heard and maybe the rotation is really tight and he doesn't see a lot of time but him and Andre Wesson in that Purdue game we saw Jallo in in certain spots maybe more early on in the season than as the season progressed but those are guys that are going to have to make plays and you don't expect them to score 15 16 points but if those guys can hit a couple of threes that may be the difference between winning and losing this game but do you have any bold predictions for Ohio State's game versus South Dakota State um I I think that kind of the boldest prediction that I'd go out and make is uh, I think Ohio State's going to trail by double digits at halftime, and if that's just ten, if that's just ten points, then I, I mean that would still count. Um, I, I don't think it'll be an insurmountable lead at the half, but I think Ohio State's going to kind of get punched in the mouth to start this game for you know all of the reasons that we mentioned the you know playing in a different place, playing in the tournament for the first time, playing for the first time in 13 days, 
against a team that shoots the ball really well. I I would not be surprised if Ohio State is is down early and has to stage a comeback. No, neither would I. And I think that that comes back to if if that is the scenario, then it's that South Dakota State's making threes and Ohio State just isn't hitting any sorts of shots. And that's I, I think my biggest prediction is if Ohio State's able to hit say nine threes, they'll win the game. If they hit anything less than that, then you know it's hard to see them matching up three for three unless South Dakota State is just shooting really poorly. So I think that guys like Cam Williams, guys like Andre Wesson, like we mentioned, they're going to have to hit a couple of shots to, to help keep them kind of afloat and keep the offense running and going. Yeah, and you know that that contribution from, from bench players that don't – you know, con- contribute a ton is really hard to depend on, um, especially when you're, you know, a high-level tournament team. I mean, Ohio State's a five seed, and it's just that that lack of depth that they've had all season is really starting to show up. And I think that that's been what's hurt them the most the last couple of weeks, and what's led to the the decline on the court. And if they can get contributions from those younger guys and from those bench guys, it'll certainly be a huge you know, a huge part of the game. And I I think that if they win, it'll be because those guys step up. But I I think that that's kind of why I'm pessimistic about this game is because I just, I don't know if they will. It's really hard to say who's going to show up uh, outside of Kata and and CJ and Jay Sean Tate. And I, I don't know if that's enough for Ohio State to win against a team that has a ton of upperclassmen and a ton of shooting and really just a roster that does not match up favorably. Totally off topic here, but as we wrap up the discussion on on the game on Thursday, do you know anything about South Dakota State? Um, I'm looking at their roster, so I know what players' uh, numbers are and how tall they are. No, I mean like just <laughs> any, like university, anything about the city. Absolutely not. I actually went to a wedding on the South Dakota State campus once. One of my friends from high school got married out there in Brookings, South Dakota. Very nice place. Mm-hmm. It's a small town, which you would expect from South Dakota, but um, you know, it, it was a good time and I think that the most quintessential thing I can say about Brookings is that when we all went out, you know, whatever two nights before the wedding out to the bars, we ran into the bride and her party <laughs> because there's only two bars in downtown Brookings and uh yeah, you, that's what happens in a small town like that. But it's a place where um, when you're, you're served at the end of the night, we saw the last girl to give me a beer was the one that took my order at the breakfast place next door. So that is Brookings, South Dakota in a nutshell, <laughs> but very nice place. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it right now on Google Images. It, it kind of looks like um, a lot of towns in Ohio. It, you know, it's we're, we're so far off topic, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't know a ton about South Dakota. It does seem like a nice place. Well, hopefully Ohio State's able to beat them. As a reminder, that's on Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. I'm sure it'll, it's probably on TBS or one of the TBS. TNT. We got Chris Webber on that dang game. <laughs> what? Chris Webber's actually pretty decent. It, <laughs> of all like the NBA guys who come in, I, I feel like Chris Webber, and I, I guess that that's a hot take because he's a Michigan alum, but I've always liked Chris Webber's analysis, certainly more than like Kenny Smith or Charles Barkley yeah. is. We all saw on the selection show yesterday the um, the whole TBS CBS coverage of the tournament. Like it's good when the games start, but everything leading up to it is bad. Yeah, I don't really that broadcast. I don't know how you can mess that up that bad. Like the the audio was off from the video, 
And did you see when um, they had one of the the committee members on and something weird happened with his mic and it, he sounded like a monster? It, it was like – it feels like that's karma for what they're trying to do yeah. to the selection yeah, show. Yeah, don't mess with it. Where it's just, just like – yeah, just, just <laughs> unveil the bracket. Like you don't need to make it really crazy, and it just makes everybody look bad. It was just a really, really stupid way to unveil it, which is – Odd too, because what was it two years ago when they decided that they weren't gonna unveil all the teams until like an hour and a half in, <laughs> and you would seem you would think that that would be like kind of their, you know their their come to Jesus moment for lack of a better term where it's just like yo just unveil the bracket and everything else will take care of itself but now they they couldn't do that yeah and I mean in their defense they at least got it out of the way pretty quickly I, I mean it was within the first ten minutes when we knew who all the teams were bracket was within twenty minutes or so. Um, but it just kind of it kind of took away the uh, suspense a little bit because the the only way that team like fans of teams on the bubble found out that they made it or didn't was just if their name popped up in alphabetical order <laughs> and you know it was like kind of an off note that someone would mention oh hey Notre Dame didn't make it or you know there's Oklahoma but Oklahoma State isn't in it's just it it felt like kind of a a wasted opportunity for what is generally a really suspenseful thing um and i i mean we 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 laugh at it a lot because it's bad too but at least like with the college football playoff selection they just show the bracket like they just they just show the teams that are in <laughs> and it doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to do uh, do you have any big takeaways from the the bracket at all any uh surprise picks that you may have um my my main takeaway is one that I guess is kind of a hot take. I mean, I, I'm sure it's a it's a pretty trendy pick just from what they've done in the past week, and it, it's a it's a take that I don't like just because I'm an Ohio State fan. But I think Michigan might win it. I think Michigan might you, might win. You're the stealing whole thing. mine, man. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, they're playing the best basketball, and maybe anybody in the country. I'm for sure probably going to pencil them into my Final Four, which is so awful to think about, but. <laughs> They're playing really well, and it always seems like when March hits the last couple of seasons, they're ready to go because they have a lot of vets. They have players who can score, and, and quite honestly, John Beeline's just a really good coach. Yeah, Beeline is a really good coach, and that team, you know, I I am sure that this is going to get people, like, tweeting at me, like, what's wrong with you? You're a bad Ohio State fan. I don't hate Michigan in basketball. I, I mean, like, the— I agree. Yeah, I mean, like, they're obviously it's frustrating when Ohio State loses to them, but they're, I mean, they're pretty likable. You know, John, I have no issue with John Beeline. Um, Mo Wagner's kind of annoying. I, I haggled him a little bit when he came to Columbus. I was at that game. But outside of that, I mean, like, you know, Abdul Rahman, uh, Xavier Simpson, the roster's fun. The players seem likable. Um, they're, you know, they play a fun brand of basketball and, I just, you know, it's a. I don't really have any strong opinions on them. I, I think they're fun to watch, and they're probably going to be really good in this tournament. Yeah, and sometimes you just got to give credit where credit is due, and they're playing really well. And the fact that there is a possibility that Ohio State and Michigan could play in the tournament in the Elite Eight would be uh, would be pretty cool before Ohio State beats them and then plays Cincinnati in the Final Four <laughs> and then beats them and then plays Michigan State in the National Championship and beats them. Yeah. So that's our dream scenario here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to Ohio State playing um, 
like the three other the the three sixteen seeds that make it out of the other three divisions, um, and and you know just walking their way to a championship. That's that's the dream scenario. Is they beat every low seed. <laughs> also, poor Penn State. They sweep Ohio State. They make a run in the Big Ten tournament, and whenever anybody talked about any snubs, like they weren't even mentioned we we must follow different we must follow different people on twitter then <laughs> were people freaking out mostly penn state fans i think but they were not happy the ones that i follow <laughs> they were they were yelling pretty much about how they're they're better than oklahoma and, and syracuse which i agree with but um yeah i i think that penn state kind of a kind of a weird season for them because you know, obviously they beat Ohio State three times, and that was pretty much it. That was pretty much all they did for the entire season. Well, if we know anything about Penn State fans, is that they're rational. Yeah, they're so very they, rational. They got that normal. going for them. <laughs> all right, shifting to football matters. We'll talk about the basketball team again after the game. We'll have a, a recap podcast after the game against South Dakota State. But flipping a football, what was it last week? Ian Boyd from. SB Nation, one of our colleagues, wrote this really long piece and a really good piece, and we'll link to it in the post, about Ohio State's offense and how it might shift this year with Dwayne Haskins or whoever, we're going to say it's Haskins because it's going to be Dwayne Haskins unless there's an injury, and how Ohio State's offense can take their next step and what that is. What do you think about the article, and, and what do you think about the possibility of Dwayne Haskins' skill set kind of taking this Ohio State offense to the next level? Well, firstly, I thought it was a really good article, and um, you know, people people should definitely take a look at it if they haven't yet. Um, Ian Boyd does a really good job, and uh, you know, our the whole uh, study hall team that they have over there does a really good job. But um, just on the the possibility of Haskins taking over the offense and what that could lead to is certainly exciting. Um, we saw it in the Michigan game last season. We saw it a couple times throughout the year when just in garbage time. And in general, when Haskins came in, he played really, really well. Um, he throws a really nice ball. He's got a not an incredibly strong arm, but a stronger arm than we've seen at Ohio State in a long time. Um, and he seems, you know, he's certainly more of a passing quarterback than we've had at Ohio State since maybe Troy Smith. Um, and... You know, with with a, a co-offensive coordinator group of Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day, I certainly think that they'll understand how to use a quarterback that a quarterback like that far better than the last co-offensive coordinator did, and we'll talk about one of them in a little while. But I, you know, with the with the wide receiver talent on this team, because most of the wide receivers on this team are seniors or juniors. Um, the possibilities seem pretty endless. Um, I think if they, if the line is solid and if Haskins can stay healthy, the passing offense should be better than it has been in years. Um, and it, it'll just come down to play calling and execution because the talent is certainly there. And as, uh, as Ian pointed out in the article, Ohio state should be really good at passing this season for, you know, schematic reasons and, because Haskins is a really good quarterback, and I'm certainly excited to see how the the Haskins experiment will go. Yeah, and I think that there's going to be a lot of really subtle changes to the passing game, whether it's more throws outside of the numbers, less rollouts, because like you mentioned, Haskins just has the arm strength to take a two-step drop out of the shotgun and throw the ball outside of the numbers to the opposite side of the field, and that is just able to stress a defense 
in so many more different ways than I think what JT Barrett did. And you'll see, I think, less of those bubble screens. You still will see Paris Campbell get the ball out in space and, and try to make some plays. But just with the way his Haskins, his skill set is, you know, they I don't think that they need to do some of the things they've done offensively the past couple of years. And we have focused so much on the deep ball, and that'll be something that I think comes into play more. But just those other nuances of being able to throw the ball outside of the numbers, being able to throw slants and in routes and even those out routes outside of the numbers, I think gives the offense a whole new dynamic. And we already know that they can run the ball, but if they're able to open it up a bit more passing-wise, I think we saw the ideal for Ohio State's offense was at the end of the 2014 season when they could stress defenses horizontally, they could do so vertically, and Cardale Jones and his arm really helped open up things for the ground game. And to have that kind of balance and have those two facets of the game playing off each other, we haven't seen that since that season. So I think that this has the potential to be the best Ohio State offense that we have seen since then. Yeah, and this is really the, the you know this this style of offense was set up for a lot of last season. They just weren't able to execute it fully. But Ohio State ran more mesh concepts than pretty much any other team in the country. And for the most part, they just used that for the underneath routes, um, you know, either drag routes to Paris Campbell or you know, underneath crossing routes to KJ Hill. But there are deep options on most mesh concepts. Um, Kevin Wilson loves to have deep options, be it a wheel or a fade or any number of things, oftentimes to a slot receiver. And JT Barrett really just didn't try to make those throws um you know and there's a there's a highlight from last season on a mesh concept where Dwayne Haskins completes uh I think like a 45 yard pass to uh CJ Sanders down the field um and it's just it's a beautiful throw and it's a throw that we we would not see um JT Barrett try let alone make and that's not to say that JT isn't you know, not to take away from JT Barrett, it's just that's not a throw he would make. That that he that's not his style. Um, he doesn't like to get intercepted, and that there's a good chance that that throw gets intercepted if he tries it. Um, and I, I think it'll just open up the offense a lot. There's a lot of things that Ohio State did that were you know a possible vertical threat, and they just didn't really have that option. Um, you know, play action stuff, stuff as I inverse style plays will work far better with Dwayne Haskins, and I think that Ohio State fans are really excited about that, and I know I am too. Yeah, and a bit of a self-plug here, but I actually uploaded a video to my YouTube channel of every single pass that Dwayne Haskins attempted this year. If you go on YouTube, search Colton P. Denning, or just Dwayne Haskins plays, it's like a 12-minute video, and if you guys want to get kind of reacquainted with Haskins' skill set before spring practice and the spring game really start to kick up here in the next couple of weeks and as we get into April it's a, a nice refresher and check out Ian Boyd's piece like I said we will have a link to that in the uh, in the post on this podcast so you can check that out or just go to footballstudyhall.com and you can find it there but we're going to wrap up but before we do it's become kind of a running joke on this podcast to talk about who Jim Harbaugh is hiring and we thought it was going to be over when he hired Jim McElwain to be an offensive assistant but since the last time we talked they've also locked down Ed Warner and Ron Prince <laughs> I said last episode that Jim Harbaugh was doing this on purpose to see what he could get away with and I'm I, I'm stuck in my conviction Patrick he is just seeing what he can get away with here and it ends up in offensive coordinator Dan Hawkins yeah I <laughs> 
<laughs> Michigan um, athletic director Houston Nutt. The hero that we deserve. <laughs> yeah, bringing in Ron Prince and Ed Warner and Jim McElwain feels like kind of a cruel joke that Michigan is playing on me, um, you know, and, and on this podcast. Because, you know, these are all of the best coaches in college football. Ed Warner, Jim McElwain, Ron Prince. Uh, they're, you know, we know them as being the best coaches college football has to offer, um, especially when it comes to their offensive prowess. And, um, you know, a, as it says on Michigan's official bio of Jim McElwain, um, Florida's offense was extremely explosive. <laughs> Well, Patrick, they had six players that caught multiple receiving touchdowns in 2015 and 16. Yeah. <laughs> which hasn't happened for Florida since Urban Meyer was there. So, you know, everybody wants to give credit to Kevin Wilson and Urban Meyer for being offensive minds. Uh, Michigan has the true geniuses. Yeah, and, um, you know, it, it's really it's impressive that Jim McElwain was able to field a better passing offense than Will Muschamp. I mean, Will Muschamp, another just – genius when it comes to offensive football uh you know he loves to throw the ball and uh Jim McElwain just he he outdid him and uh <laughs> it, it's really it's hard to even comprehend what Michigan will be able to do with uh John O'Corn uh or Shea Patterson I guess maybe um yeah. chucking the rock down the field led by um the the best offensive coordinator college football has ever seen in um you know both Jim McElwain and Ed Warner two guys who are just known for how much they love to throw the ball and uh definitely not for running quarterback draws on third and 11 uh with two minutes left in the game uh, speaking of quarterback draws I know I said this ends with Michigan offensive coordinator Dan Hawkins but obviously the dream scenario here is after the season we get Michigan offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach Tim Beck. That, yes. That's clearly the the dream scenario here. And like, obviously, you want to say that it's impossible for that to happen, but given who they've hired, you know, it's it's definitely not. It's a possibility. Yeah, I um I I don't want to dream too big because I'll only be disappointed when Michigan goes out and hires um, Daryl Hazel as their new head coach. And that's just not good enough. We need Tim Beck to be Michigan's head coach, and we need it now. That That is what will return Michigan to their rightful place of going 5-7. And, seven. and uh, I, I'm, I'm upset that they're not there yet. You know, they're, they're wasting time with this hardball guy. Michigan needs to go hire Tim Beck, and they need to do it right now. You know, Nick Siciliano is probably still looking for <laughs> – a football coaching job. I, I don't think he's really done much since since Jim Trestle got out of Columbus, but um, I think that he could he could he could make some waves with the Michigan quarterbacks. <laughs> I um I'm looking it up because I remember Nick Siciliano having a completely different job now. Um, it says on his LinkedIn he's a strategic sourcing manager with Cardinal Help. Yeah, he's for sure just an insurance salesman making yeah, cold calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michigan. He's he's ready. You know, when, when Mama calls, Nick Siciliano has to come home and take over the Michigan head coaching job in two years. Think of how bad of a coach you have to be to be with Jim Trestle for that long and to just be out of coaching. <laughs> just immediately. Like, he, he doesn't he, – he didn't look like he was that old 
back, you know, when he was coaching at Ohio State, he's probably still in his 40s or if he's in his 50s, his early 50s. But he was so bad and so unqualified for that job that everybody else was just like, nope, we're all right. We will rather – we'll take Jim Bowman over that. And, um, yeah, Nick Siciliano, shout out to him. Got a mention on the podcast today. I Yeah, I was not – I don't think I was expecting to, to get into Nick Siciliano <laughs> in this one. Nick Siciliano is our out cue for today. <laughs> I got one more. Michigan offensive coordinator Herm Edwards. Oh, I, I like it. I, I yeah. feel like he's bringing a new paradigm to Arizona State. Um, he certainly can attack the day with enthusiasm unknown to mankind like uh, like the rest of Jim Harbaugh's staff. But uh, I feel like we need the listeners to send in their ideal candidates for Michigan offensive coordinators as the years go by. So send us a tweet at Holy Land Pod. You can send me a tweet at Dubsco and let me know how terrible you think this podcast is. You can also send a tweet to Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, where can they do that? Uh, they can do that at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Uh, Michigan needs to bring Al Borges home. Al Borges, who, and the rest of the whole Iowa staff from the mid to late 2000s really just, they, they need to go to Ann Arbor and, so does Kyle Shanahan. Not Kyle Shanahan. Who am I thinking of? No idea. Uh, Falcons offensive coordinator. Um, The current one? No, the one who just got fired. The one who didn't run the ball. Not not Kyle Shanahan. He didn't run the ball in the Super Bowl either, but the one that didn't run the ball this year. Um, Former USC oh, head he coach. Was, yeah, uh, Sark. Yeah, Steve so, yeah. Sarkeesian. Michigan yeah. offensive coordinator yeah. <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian. There we go. We, yes, we've solved all, I'm on board. We've solved all of Michigan's offensive problems in this podcast and also probably killed all of our listenership as well oh yeah no this is definitely the last episode they're never going to let us be on the air again follow us on twitter at holy land pod <laughs> follow the site at land grant 33 visit the site landgrantholyland.com. if you do like the show subscribe to it go on to apple podcast search hang out in the holy land or find it on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash land grant holy land hope you guys all enjoy the game on thursday we'll have a recap episode breaking down Ohio State's matchup versus South Dakota State. But until then, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and we will never log off.